Chris Overton is an Academy Award-winning director, producer, and the CEO of Slick Films, which won the Oscar for Best Live Action Short Film for its debut, The Silent Child. And Rebecca Harris is head of film at Slick Films and is an award-winning British film producer, also best known for The Silent Child as well. Now, they are both here today to discuss their production company, Slick Films, but also their three new short films, Isla, Soledad, In Too Deep, and George. So without further ado, let's welcome the Academy Award-winning duo, director Chris Overton and producer Rebecca Harris to the show. Welcome to both of you. Thanks very much. <laughs> Great to meet yes. you. Yes. Nice well, to be here. It is, I'm, I'm very honored to have you both on. And Chris, I'm going to uh, direct this question to you. Uh, why did you start Slick Films? Well, I think I think it started um, when I was about nineteen, and it started as a showreel company, and it was just a it was just a bit of a dream to support my acting career. That's really how it started, and then I think I fell out of love with acting and fell in love with filmmaking. But it, filmmaking was always something I did from about thirteen years of age, actually. Really? So. Uh... Was there a particular film that uh, inspired you to become a filmmaker? I think it did, actually. I think I fell in love with a film called Oliver Twist, uh, the musical version. And I was really just kind of blown away by that. And that's, I think, was the catalyst to actually be in this entire industry. Well, Rebecca, how about you? Uh, how did you come to join Slick Films? Well, I think again, I yeah, I kind of fell into it. So it was um, a recommendation, I think, a bit on the fly. I was volunteering somewhere for a um, media charity here in um, in London, and someone that I'd worked with on um, on our final year project at uni. So it's quite an awful film, but I'd clearly done something right because they recommended me to um, Chris, who was looking for someone to help with like the organising of what was at the time slick showreels, where we go out and film scenes for actors to help them get in the room with casting directors and agents. So that's um, where I started. So I started producing showreel scenes at first, and that was very different because it's only with a few crew members, just a couple of crew members and um, very low scale, but you kind of um, work out how to do things on the fly quite quickly. And then it obviously started to move to shorts when um, uh, I, we both, um, well, I met Rachel through Chris, Rachel Shenton, who wrote The Silent Child, which was, yeah, our first professional short, but did very, very well. And I'm very lucky to be a part of that. I still feel very lucky to have been a part of that. And well, um, yeah. Wait, that brings me to the point on The Silent Child, because both of you are known. Again, ladies and gentlemen, it's an Oscar winning short film, The Silent Child. What was the whole, and this is a question for both of you, what was the whole experience like? Uh, from the birth of the film to actually winning the Academy Award. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was crazy. I think it was a really, it's important to say that it was a really small, kind of felt like a small community film. You know, it was a beg, borrow, steal type of job. We really didn't know what we were doing, if we're being completely honest. It was our first film. And I think there's something quite special in being fearless uh, through being uh, completely ignorant about the film industry. And we, and we were, you know, 
Um, and there, there was a lot of benefits that came from that because we didn't realize what could go wrong. Um, and yeah, it, it was just it, it, this important message um, was right behind the film at all times. And I think that passion brought everyone together and, and led us through this amazing journey. So, so uh, where did you come across for the script of The Silent Child? Uh, yeah, I mean, it started with um, an idea from Rachel. She was living with a, a, a deaf woman in L.A. when she was filming a TV show called Switched at Birth. And she actually said to me, I've got an idea for a short film. And, and, I, and she told me about it and it, it really did sound incredible. So I urged her to write it. And then about a week later, she presented The Silent Child to us. And um, I think we were both just bowled over by that, weren't we, Bex? Yeah, it just it was one of those, even though I didn't have much experience at the time, it just, it felt so important and like a responsibility um, to tell it the right way. Um, and I think that kind of paved the way for Slick after that. It's um, because we knew what you could achieve with little experience and we wanted to help other filmmakers realize that you can actually do it, do what, you, what your um, goals are and not be, yeah, not let that imposter syndrome get in the way too much. Well, what was the response to The Silent Child at all of the film festivals and then finding out uh, that it actually got Oscar qualified, which is usually the, that, which is the first step before the nomination? I think it was you, wasn't it, Rebecca, who, who uh, messaged us and said, I, re I think I remember the, the message. It just said, guys, the Academy. And we just looked at our emails um, after Rebecca sent that and we were shortlisted to the final 10. And, but, you know, before that we, we did, we had a nice festival journey. We were being selected at various film festivals and it seemed to be doing very well in America. We had a great experience at Rhode Island Film Festival where we won the grand jury prize, which allowed us to actually submit for the Oscars. And then, yeah, um, we, we, we found ourselves shortlisted, didn't we, Bex? Yes. And then, and then yeah. you get the phone call for the nomination. What, what was going through your mind then? Yeah, I mean, I think there was actually a reaction video. We did a couple of them, like Chris's, <laughs> Rachel's reaction, then mine and some of the other team. Um, it was one of those where you just say, oh, well, we got this far. This is an amazing achievement. You don't actually think that would ever happen. <laughs> you don't think so. every stage you're so grateful. And then you just think, well, this is nice. So then they say the silent child. And yeah, you, um, you just start living a different, um, a, a surreal, it becomes a surreal existence from then on. It still feels like that. Looking back, it still feels quite, quite surreal. Um, yeah. Well, how high does it raise the bar when you actually win the Academy Award for a film like, and, and I love the fact that you didn't come out saying that uh, you were a polished uh, film production company. You really didn't know what you were doing. You, In a way, you were winging it, like you said, putting things together and hoping that they stick, and it just comes out. To me, those stories is what inspires more people to become filmmakers because sometimes not knowing everything just gives you more creative power. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what was special about the film, that it was just solely this message that we wanted to tell. And I think that's what's important. Story 
remains the most important thing um, in making a successful film, we believe. And um, that was right at the forefront of The Silent Child the entire time. And, and the rest, we just went along with it and we felt like we were making making it up as we went along. Yeah. <laughs> well, does winning the Academy Award, how, uh, how does winning the Academy Award open up new doors? Does it make funding easier? I, th I think um, it, it, look, it changes everything and it changes nothing, you know, at the same time. Um, it does open some doors. It has opened some doors. Um, and I think it's connected us to more filmmakers and more stories for sure. But at the end of the day, like I think it opens doors, but it doesn't guarantee you more work. I think I would definitely say that. It's definitely uh, lifted all of our profiles a little bit and it's it's uh lifted the company profile and i think it, it what it does it it it's nice to win an award it's 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 very special it's something we'll treasure forever and i think it, it just makes people take it more seriously yeah i guess in a way the perception is that it in it, it enlarges one's talent um where people pay more attention to you which brings me to the one of the three short films that you have out right now um, uh, uh, is La Soledad, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, so for both of you, uh, please tell us about it. Well, you went out there for the shoot, didn't you, Chris, as well as um, with the filmmakers and saw, uh, there's a, yeah, it reminded us a little bit of the way we made the silent child, the way the community feel that they went about that but Chris was there for the shoot yeah we worked on uh you know we work myself and Rebecca work a lot as exec producers helping other filmmakers make their films as well as throwing our uh, skills into the hat with our own projects where we are you know I'm directing and Rebecca's producing um but yeah we we really enjoy the exec producing side of things and this was our first international co-production and we love the approach to the film. Like Rebecca said, it was very similar to The Silent Child, had that community feel. You know, people were, when filming at night, people were in the streets and the director would just say, do you want to be in the film? You know, like, you just stand there, be in the background. And it was it was amazing to, to see, very inspiring. Well, I love the film because the character Sonia in the film, she is the epitome of a mother who unselfishly takes care of her grandmother, but then desires to give her son, Angel, a better life. But there are these never-ending struggles. So I love the fact that the film is true to life. I mean, if someone watched the film, you would truly believe this was a true story. And in a way, for some people, it is a true story because they're living this every single day. I mean, what do you want the audience to take away from this film? I think, although, um, you know, it is, yeah, it's a really difficult subject and really emotional one. I think it was really important to the director and the producer to take away some hope at the end as well. Um, so I think, although, um, yeah, the story is wrapped in quite a um, hard hitting subject and that, and it is a really, um, and, and the the um, relationship between the mother and her son is really powerful, but it's it's got that hope at the end, 
that hopefully anyone that resonates with it will feel as well. That was quite important, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think one part of the film that um, that really got to me was here she is taking care of the grandmother. She's doing the best she can with her son. All of these little things start happening, like the electricity. And then when the grandmother is taken to the hospital. But what got me was when she's done as, as much as she can on her own. And then you bring forth within the story that she had a past struggle with substance abuse and, and overcomes it. But still, government or even part of society, they know you're doing the right thing, but they still want to take something away from you. And for me, that was very hard in a way to watch because there are so many families that have lost their kids. They're doing everything they possibly can. They're doing the right thing. But in the end, in a way, they still feel like they've lost. And that's the reason I love that this film is so true to life to so many people's situations today, which is why I think that when it goes through the film festival rounds, people are going to respond uh, overwhelmingly um, to this film, very positively to this film. Yeah, we hope so. I think it definitely reflects the Mexican struggle. I know that is something that was something very important to both Omar and Camilla, the director and producer. They wanted to, ref they wanted people, the people of Mexico to kind of identify with this film. And, and I think they, they really do that. Yeah. And you know, and it's funny because so, so and the film is based in Mexico, correct? It is indeed. Yeah. In a, a small part of Mexico called, uh, Colima, which is, uh, Omar and Camillo's hometown, they'd like to shoot in their hometown. But it's, yeah, it's a very small part of Mexico. It's a, it's away from, you know, uh, the cities like Guadalajara and, and Mexico City. Um, so it's a pocket, a small pocket of the country. So I think you picked a perfect location, um, a perfect e ethnic cast for this film, because I don't think it would have the same impact if it was shot with a bunch of Americans. Because... In Mexican culture, family is everything. You know, regardless of social status, regardless of economic status in Mexico, family is everything. And that's why this film works so well. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, we, we, we can't really, you know, we can't speak for the, the people of Mexico, but we certainly saw what Omar and Camilo were doing and we wanted to support that. And uh, yeah, they're just fantastic filmmakers, both of them. So this was an international collaboration. Uh, how does your company, Slick Films, come across scripts like this or screenplays? Uh, um, so we do hold submissions, but a lot of it is organic. So um, there might be someone who's seen one of our shorts and it's a bit of word of mouth and then they get in touch and um, and it's always about you know the essence of that story so if we see a log line or the synopsis and we're like oh that fits in line with 
a bit of our ethos, which we try to not be too strict with our ethos at all. We want we don't want to miss certain genres and directions, but it is a bit of um, something, a topic that could start conversations. We do like things that touch on real life. They don't have to be completely based on real life, but elements that you can, of, of, of a social conscience, I guess, um, is what we get drawn to in social issues like Isla Soledad. Um, so I think once people started to realize that's what we tend to work with, that's when we start to get more along those lines of scripts coming to us and writers approaching us. So um, it, in a way, our job becomes very hard because there's so many amazing scripts that we read and we can't obviously do all of them. So, yeah. Well, does but, it ever um, feel like that you want to, you know, film everything that comes across your desk sometimes yeah. because you see yeah. such great storylines that it's hard yeah. to will it down because you're only going to be doing a few films throughout the year? It gets harder and harder, actually. Yeah, it's... um it's really difficult. We do just want to say yes to everything. And we had to kind of train ourselves to say no in the beginning because we suddenly realized, I think we've got 35 shorts or something now going on in different stages, haven't we? So I think um, we realized, okay, we might need a bit more of a structure and a plan. We can't do all of them. But, um, but at the same time, it really has, um, you know, they don't all happen at the same time. So um, you can, uh, you can work it out. But we are going to probably take the number down a little bit. That's a lot of films, but I have to say, you have another short film called In Too Deep. Uh, this is a story with a dire warning to society. What is the synopsis of this film, and what is that warning? Well, it's um, about Ben, a grieving father who uses AI technology to bring back his fondest memories. So he's grieving the death of his daughter. And it, it's, it's really a story of, uh, of, of grief combined with technology. And I think that's what attracted us so much to this, to this story. There's a lot of stories about grief out there, but there was something a little bit different within Too Deep. And I think James Spillman, the writer, was very ahead of the curve Obviously, we're seeing this this explosion of of AI technology around the writer's strike. Uh, but, you know, this script was written way before that. And I think that's testament to, you know, James and and his uh, expertise in in VFX and um, and in his interest in that uh, part of part of the industry. He was definitely ahead of the curve. It was one of the it was one of the elements that I noticed, and I watched the film twice. Um, and for you, Rebecca, how challenging was this film to make? It was the most challenging one I've done so far of the shorts. I think just because, well, one we made it during the pandemic, and I know that story comes up a lot, but um, it did get moved a couple of times. Um, we would be like a week before and obviously you've got everything in place, all the moving parts. So then the council would say, oh, we've just been told by the police it can't happen, sorry. <laughs> and it's just like last, yeah, quite last minute. And then um, on the shoot itself, I think, yeah, it was just a very high, highly ambitious for the shots we're planning as well. And um, the VFX part of it was something quite new to me actually at that time. So I think um, 
James again, the writer and also the VFX supervisor on it, he was really crucial to it, but we learned so much. Um, and I think that was, um, yeah, I feel like I came out of that having a bit more of an understanding of what goes into VFX, the extra time you need for it is a bit of a longer shoot for a short, I think as well. Um, but yeah, the COVID challenges were probably, <laughs> probably well, what took over and our crew stuck by it. So, so yeah. I don't want to give away the plot twist in this film in too deep, but I did not expect um, that particular turn in the film. And literally and truthfully, I had tears in my eyes um, towards the end of this film, especially at the plot twist, because I literally did not see it coming. Um, so job well done on this film. Uh, Thank you. So uh, for a question to both of you, because we know with the writer's strike and the actor strike, there are AI fears. So, and there are very deep fears about AI right now, and not just in the film industry, but it's being used from what I've heard in the porn industry, in social media, and probably by some three-letter government agencies. Uh, what is your opinion on AI? Can it be regulated, or has Pandora's box been opened? Um, well, I'm certainly no expert. Um but I, I, you know, my comment on AI is that look, there are some undeniable advantages. We're seeing the benefits in supermarkets, um, in lots of different areas, and in the industry. You know, th there are things that you 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 can't deny are an advantage to society. However, I think the advantages are the things that are only being talked about until the writer strike. Um, I think there's a lot of dark things going on with AI technology, especially on the deep web. You've just mentioned a lot of them. And it's that within too deep that we wanted to shine a light on. We just, we, you know, it's not, we're not politicians. We're not, we're filmmakers. We're not the right people to change legis legislation, but we, we just want to raise awareness and start, uh, start people talking about the dangers of AI tech. Well, this is a film, like you said, it is so far ahead of the curve. Um, I, What I deemed when I watched it and after I watched it, I literally had to sit here and really think about the subject matter, which I do not want to give away. For those of you who have not seen the film, I'm not going to give away the twist in this. I called it Extreme. I call it dark, but in a way, I can actually see this story actually being true um, in the future. And that's the disturbing part, that it can be true. Um, we're living in a society now where, my gosh, people throw conspiracy theories around as it's everyday conversation. But are we getting to the point in society that we can't tell the difference between what's real and what's fake? Or, and mm. are we already there? Yeah. And I think, um, I think with the benefits Chris talked, talked about, I think it's just also just asking the question, but how far are you willing to let this go? 
and what mm. does that look like and it is quite terrifying thinking about that and i think and that i think that's why this film is quite terrifying hopefully <laughs> um in a way but yeah it's terrifying not in a scary way like a scary movie it's terrifying because the truth of this is so real and that this film the subject of this film could really happen in real life i think that's the scary part you yeah, completely agree i think when we first read the script I, i'm sure you were the same rebecca but we thought oh wow this is very futuristic this could happen you know 50 100 years time and then skip to 2023 and you're you're right i mean this could be happening today absolutely the 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 and the advancement in this technology is is really mind blowing, um, and I think James did say, you know, it's going to it's going to pick up pace very quickly, and I, I don't think we quite understood the yeah. the reality of that. I think anyone can get their hands on this particular software as well, so it's not really restricted. It's quite easy to access as well. Yeah, I was just reading this morning, I believe it was in The Hollywood Reporter, if I remember correctly, where AI companies are basically about to get sued um, because the only way to perfect the technology is using things that are already out there, people's likenesses. And now mm. they're trying to stop the AI companies from using real people to perfect their technology. So I know that we are looking at a very, very big fight here, uh, mm. not only in society, but in the film industry, which I know is one of the major sticking points in both the writers and the actors strike. But for both of you, are there any good uses to AI? Um, there are, aren't there? Um, if it's controlled, I think, um, but I think it's more the lower scale end, which I think is good. I think it's, there is quite a low scale that, in my opinion, it should probably stick to, maybe. And then if you go beyond, that's when. So I guess all the um, more computerized um, things that help you, you start, it starts out with chat GPT and things like that, you know. Um, but at the same time, you need to be able to think for yourself still. So. Mm -hmm um you don't need something to search every single possible scenario to give you the best answers like what do you think as an individual <laughs> what, yeah. what are you trying to say so i think even with that you have to be careful but i do think there are good points that brings yeah. up a good point because chris you brought it up at the very beginning of the interview where when y'all were filming the silent child you really didn't know because i, I think for most people the first film is a trial and error type of project. Um, it may come out great, may come out looking horrible, but along the way, you learn that creativity goes deep. You know, we are create. You know, we we are a creation with the power to create, but with AI coming in with such a like a tour de force. Um, I know that it's going to cause certain people, not everyone, but certain people to become lazy. Some people trying to copyright work that technically they did not create that AI created. So I know that's a whole other area of 
lawsuits probably coming in the areas of copyrights. Um, and with this film in too deep, how do you, and as a filmmaker for both of you, how do you balance out of sticking with your own human creativity and not jumping into an AI type bandwagon to where you could literally just start pumping out films one right after the other without even thinking about it. Um, I think it's originality, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, I could be mistaken here, but I think chat GPT, for example, is using all of the material that's already out there. It's a, it's a fast track of, you know, what's on Google and, and other sources of information across the internet. So it's the originality. And I do think it's, it's hard to identify. I, I won't lie, but like, I do think you can, you can see things that you are like, mm, maybe that was written by chat GPT or, you know, and, and I think if you're a writer and someone knows your style and you, you, you write something with chat GPT, I think people will be able to recognize that. I think even amongst friends, you know, um, so it, I think it's the originality uh, that we all will be desperate to keep hold of. That's what sets people apart, right? Exactly. It is funny that you bring that up. Um, just recently, I was sent a, a upcoming guest bio, and I'm not going to mention their names. And they sent me three three versions of the bio. The first two versions was like the short version. Then there's the long version. And then at the bottom, it says chat gpt version and i went interesting so i read the first two original human versions and technically chat uh, chat gpt still has to rely on a human element basically it's just polishing up someone's paragraph so to speak Mm -hmm. but as i was looking at both versions i was like it's too polished. And mm. so, and Chris, I agree with you. We must keep the originality. You know, my gosh, I mean, if you look at people's films from um, Spielberg to Coppola uh, to Tarantino, there's that signature that you can always recognize in their filmmaking. Same way when it comes to authors, if it's Stephen King or uh, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, by reading the stories, there's always a particular style that they have that you can recognize. And hopefully we don't lose that uh, in the power of filmmaking. Yeah. And I think there's something about people who have are telling a personal story as well that feeds into everything in the mm. script. And you, can't, you can't get that through <laughs> AI. Um, so hopefully it, it doesn't go that way. Exactly. Now, I want to bring up your third short film, George. Now, it started out a bit quirky, and then it was an emotional feel-good, and then both of you jerked the rug out from under me as I was watching it. How did you come across the idea for this film? I mean, it was an emotional roller coaster. It certainly is, and again, it's 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 right to say we were um, exec producers on this film, and the director, writer, producer was uh, um, a good friend um, of mine that I went to school with, called Greg Chilingirian, and um, just a fan, fantastic filmmaker, and, and it, this is his debut. 
and um, he's been trying to make a version of this, tell a version of this story for over over ten years. I, he he reminded me recently that I don't know over over ten years ago I I was filming with my first ever camera seen in 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 his bathroom for this film, and then he wanted to write a novel for it, and then it finally came to uh, to do it in in a film version. And yeah, we're so proud of him. I think he's found such a unique style. And it's another example of a first-time filmmaker. He'd he'd admit himself that he didn't always know what he was doing, and um, it, yeah, he it, it, it certainly does pull the rug from from underneath you, doesn't he? It does, and I don't want to give that away because I want everybody when they have the opportunity to see George. I, I need, they need to see it from beginning to end on their own without knowing anything. But what also impressed me was this film. And I, and I just love this. It, it's a Spielberg thing, but it was shot using Super 8 film. I mean, how big of a challenge was that in today's all-digital world of filmmaking? I think it was a challenge. Um, I think Chrissy could say more, but um, Greg didn't... Yeah, he didn't seem to make it seem like that. He seemed to enjoy it and relish it, but I think in post, it was a different um, situation, as in it is quite... Um, a lot of a, a lot of complexities to it, but it was the first time that one of our shorts with Slick um, filmed on Super 8. So we were like asking him quite a few questions ourselves, trying to get that experience. But um, I think, yeah, Chris, you probably know a bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, I think he it suited Greg because it, he would probably admit himself that if he was able to watch playback, he would maybe be the type of director to go 10, 15, 20 times. However, with Super 8, there's no playback. So I think he knows that. So it's a very wise choice for Greg. And he's he's got another short that we're producing as well. He's gone straight into his next one. And um, he's he likes to do him very small scale. There was, a, you know, I think less than five crew on George. And he wants to do it the same for his other film, Love Does Not Envy. And he's made the decision to, to actually want to shoot on 35 millimeter. I've only just found this out like yesterday. I was like... Okay, that's very different. Um, so I think he's, yeah, he's, he's finding his style and his niche. And I think he, he realised what all his references, why he couldn't, he couldn't connect the dots. And he just said, I think it's because it's got to be on film. So, yeah, very interesting. We'll see well, how that did, goes. Well, did using the, the Super 8 film, did it add to the storyline? Because I felt that it did when I was watching it. Because if it was filmed digitally... I don't think it would have had the same impact. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, the look of it had a lot to do with um, his, like the whole directing style and every single emotion you feel when you watch the film, you really do go through the whole emotional spectrum. And I just don't know if, yeah, I think Super 8 was a lot to do with that, with the um, the editing style as well. It kind of worked with that. and. Uh, yeah, I think everyone's quite lucky that he's decided to make films because it did seem to take a lot of persuading from um, Chris as well and finally, and now that he's done it, hopefully it seems like he's got the bug now for it because he's going straight into another one. So, and well, for What I trying... loved, see, the, the element that I loved, and, and this is from the cinematography, by using Super 8 film for this particular short film, that when you watch Super 8, and, the, and especially with the story, there's a sense of you pick up the sense of the past 
mm. when you watch Super 8 mm. because he's talking about, you know, it starts out about his parents. So when you watch it in Super 8, it just it's like watching a family movie. Then, it, then as the film moves on, and then the twist happens, um, mm. the Super 8 adds to it because what was present now becomes the past and then facing the future. Like I said, Super 8 was a, an absolute perfect choice to film this. And I really have a feeling that George could be a dark horse for not only Oscar qualifying, I would not be surprised if it gets nominated. I don't think we would either. I don't I think if you said that to Greg, he'd be like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Um, but I mean, we just did a, a showcase recently and uh, we showed seven of our films. Um, and, you know, George was one that, you know, people really resonated with. There was a lot of talk about George and also the fact that it was just shot on such a low budget. You know, people can't believe that a film can be made for that small amount. Um, and it, it just goes to show that, you know, I think we really believe in this, that the biggest budgets don't all, aren't always the ones that resonate the most with people. Um, I think it's very inspiring that when, when a film touches people and, and then you find out that it was made for so little. Yeah, and I think the secret, especially this year, I mean, when when the Oscar nominations were announced for the live action uh, short film category, um, I had the opportunity to interview four of the five nominees. And out of the five, I, I chose, I, there were two films that I knew were going to go head to head for the win. And when they announced the winner, which was An Irish Goodbye, that was the one that we truly chose to win because it was, if you reach the viewer's emotion, if you reach down to their heart, they're gonna they're gonna vote for it. Yeah. And George has that ability. Um. And I and I you know this it's, and I think in a category of short films for this year, George stands out on its own. It's almost like once you watch it, you just you just kind of know because it's out of all of the the great cinematography of all of the short films because they're all beautiful in their own way. But then you have that one that uh, shows up out of the clear blue with a look like no other, and in a way that gives you the edge. I think George has the edge. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it could be a could be a dark horse, and um, it's definitely got something very special about it. And I think it's just so personal as well. And and they they are usually some of the most uh, powerful films. You know, mm. out of the three, um, Isla Soledad, In Too Deep, and George, they're all emotional films uh, in their own right. Um, of course, In Too Deep was um, a little bit disturbing, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. Um, George, uh, that just, 
I, ladies and gentlemen, when you have the opportunity to see these films, I will say this because I do not want to give away the endings because they are absolutely worth watching. But when it's time to watch George, you just let the emotions, let your mindset, let that film speak to you because I think there's a little bit of all of us uh, in George. Um, would you say that's correct? Yes, definitely. I think anybody watching it will be able to read something from their own life in it. And that's why it's, yeah, we, that's why it's so powerful. I mean, I had to do a Q&A straight after watching that with the filmmakers and I was just wiping some tears away, trying to pull myself together. But um, yeah, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, I, I was, I, when I was watching it, um, my, the first reaction to me was, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Cause I was feeling so good in the center. It's just great. You know? And all of a sudden you're like, what just happened? And then it dawned on me, the feeling that I experienced by watching George and the way that the character George portrayed that feeling. Oh man. I'm just, I'm just thinking about it. I might just want to tear up just thinking about it because the film is so strong. But that is this, that's, that's the emotion that millions of people around the world have felt. And for those who've never truly felt that, this film is going to bring that forward to help them understand what other people have actually gone through. Mm. Yeah, and just that perspective that everyone, you know, what you think is a certain way, someone else thinks is a different way. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's, yes. It's, yeah, um, so, um, and I can't believe you have what, 30 more short films you're, you're working on now? <laughs> it's, yeah. um, it's, it's, sorry, Bex, go on. No, I, yeah, no, I was just gonna say, I think I'm trying to count in my head, but I think some have just been released um, which is a, always a huge celebration seeing it from the start to the finish and that it's it's got out there. Um, and then we have, oh gosh, quite, quite a few right now going into production, don't we? I think there's a um, shoot yeah. Largo. Well, um, are, there, are there particular types of short films? Or let's say, let's just use these three as an example. Um, out of these three, would any one of these ever become a full feature? I think we like to think that, that every single short we take on has the potential for that. I mean, look, all short filmmakers usually have the ambition to make a feature. And I think that's what's the beauty of these shorts. We're connecting with filmmakers. Um, we're building up that relationship. And hopefully they trust us with their features one day. Uh, and hopefully they would like to make one of turn one of these shorts into a uh, a longer form story so uh, yeah i think all of them have the potential for sure now do you have any uh, full feature films in the works now we do yeah we have one that is part funded um but it will be you know we're going to be starting micro budget and working our way up so we do like the magic of low budget still even for longer form so that's um how we'd like to enter 
that world and work our way up, but only if it's necessary. So I think even if it, we did get to the bigger budgets, it would, we like to push our resources as far as we can. <laughs> and um, I think there's a, a magic to that. And we've got co-productions we're opening up to as well. So we're trying to, um, yeah, just, just see what other companies have and how we can help and see if they can do, if we can, sorry, if they can do the same for us as well and we can help in any way. So I think, yeah, it's quite an exciting time. And as Chris said, hopefully the filmmakers we've worked with on all the shorts, we're already hearing about their um, future ideas, already sending some across, so starting to happen. Well, well, let me ask you this question to both of you, especially with uh, the filmmaking community. Is it more of a community that works together or is there more competition or is there a bit of fun competition between filmmakers? I mean, I, I just feel like we, it, it feels very supportive. It really does at Slick. Um, I, I can't, you know, outside of that, I, I don't know. I, I think even outside of that, filmmakers seem really supportive. When you go to a film festival and you network, I, I, I don't think I've ever felt that kind of competition ever really. I, I mean, I can't speak for you, Rebecca, but I don't know. It's, it's a community of support. Everyone knows how incredibly hard it is to make a film. So I think when you can empathize with that and you see something amazing on screen, you're like, wow, you know, it's admiration, um, yeah, I think. I've, I think it's the same with other production companies as well. We've spoken to quite a few production companies who are in the same position as us, you know, entering long form. And we're like, right, what have we learned that we can help you with? And they're doing the same. Mm. So it's just really, um, a team effort because it is that kind of a world where you just need to support everybody if you're going to get anywhere, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I love the filmmaking community. There's just, well, there's just so much creativity there, but there's so many people that want to help one another because everybody understands the struggle of filmmaking. Yeah. You know, not everybody gets a blank check handed to them. Uh, and like you said, some people absolutely know how to work on low budget or extremely low budget or creating a film basically on no budget and uh, mm. pulling it off. And that's what is so amazing about, you know, human creativity because it's never ending. I mean, before AI was ever thought of, I mean, who created AI but humans, you know? And uh, mm. so there is, I mean, there's millions of songs that have been written. There's been thousands upon thousands of films that have been created and produced. And there's more stories to be told. But uh, Rebecca, Chris, both of you uh, have done an absolute stellar job. And I cannot wait to see what comes next from Slick Films. Thanks so much. And yeah, we're excited now about all that. There's been quite a few changes. So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And and I and, and I'm and I'm hoping to be hearing that uh, these these films. Um, I'm hoping to hear, and I know you will be too. That uh, hopefully, uh, Oscar qualifying will be coming very very soon because I, I see I see see it happening. I mean, with In Too Deep, I see it being an actual Oscar contender. 
because of the subject matter. Um, I think the whole world, this is one short film that the whole world needs to see. It's that important of a film. And again, I, you know, I called George the dark horse, but I think it could be a surprise nominee, but if it's nominated, it is going to stand out on its own. So it may not actually be the dark horse. It may actually be, um, it may be the one that's uh, leading the pack because it's that great of a film. Oh, thanks so much for your kind words. It's uh, it's really amazing to hear your reaction to that. Thank you. Well, I love studying short films. Um, I love to sit there and watch them over and over again to really get the essence of what the filmmaker was trying to say or to show or what the emotional reaction is going to be because that's what film is all about. It it could be a comedy, could be a drama, could be a thriller, um, or we're gra grabbing a Kleenex box uh, towards the end, but that's what film is all about. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to head over to slickfilms.co.uk to learn about all of the films that they are producing and have produced and those that are currently making the Oscar qualifying festival rounds this season. If you have the opportunity to see any one of these three films of Isla Soledad, In Too Deep, and George, you've got to see it. Take it from me. Every single one of them stands on its own two feet, and they are an absolute cinematic pleasure, a cinematic pleasure to watch. But I will tell you this, they will grab your heart, they will grab your emotions, and they will make you ponder and think. But that's what film is all about. So for all of you watching and listening, you can watch the replays of our interview with uh, Chris Overton and Rebecca Harris on both of our YouTube channels at Bond on Cinema, as well as YouTube.com slash Dr. Ward Bond, our bigger site. And uh, again, check out all of our digital platforms as well. Uh, Chris and Rebecca, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you thank for you. having us. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and uh, keep up the great work. And both of you are welcome back anytime because I cannot wait to see what you produce next. Great. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Ladies thank and you very much. Hey, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Rebecca. And uh, for all of you watching and listening, I want to thank you. And as for me, I'll see you next time.